It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. As Tanya Mogari and I enjoyed making this episode of A Quilter's Life, I was a bit chilly in the cold winter of North America, and she was enjoying the sunshine of South America. Tanya is a Brazilian quilter that found me through a Facebook post that Bill Bruner of Seam So Me had posted. Tanya has been quilting for about 12 years and has had the opportunity to take several courses both in Brazil and in the U.S. Three years ago, she invested in a long arm machine and her business, Tanya Mogari Quilter, was born. Tanya, thank you for joining me on A Quilter's Life. I'm so glad to have you today. Thank you, Paula. Thank you very much for inviting me. I am very excited. So I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much. Now we're going to start with where were you born and raised? I was born here in Brazil, though my father came from Japan. He's an immigrant. He came when he was young, 17 years old. And then I was born here in Brazil in a country part of my state where I live. It's a very little town. The name is Venceslau Brás, Santana do Itararé. And then I live in this state called Paraná, which is in the south of Brazil. From Sao Paulo, it's around six, seven hours. That's okay. way down on the south. Yes, it's in the south of Brazil. But my state is beside the state of Sao Paulo. But to get to the city, the capital of Sao Paulo, it takes like six, seven hours by car. I'm picturing that would be like going from Northern California to Southern California. That took five or six hours for it. Yes, that's right. Can you share a special childhood memory? As I said, I was born in this little town. Actually, my childhood period, I lived in not a small town, was a ranch. And I spent there my five, six first years. So I do remember a lot. Basically, playing a lot outside. I had a cousin living close to our ranch. Her daddy's ranch, which was around five, six miles away. And I remember I used to go to her house by bicycle on a dirty road. So that's, you know, something that I remember a lot. My sister and I, which we were just one year and a half difference. So we used to get our bicycle, go to our cousin's house, and she would come to our house. I remember playing outside a lot, like climbing up the trees, playing with kitchen stuff, but using dirty mud, with making with pans, using leaves that you pick up, flowers. So, you know, spending a lot of time outside the house. Uh, that's some of the things that I remember my childhood. And then when I was six years old, I moved to a city. The ranch we had is still there. 
we still have it, but that's the memories I have my childhood. I'm assuming you started school in the city. I started in kindergarten close to that range, like five miles away. So my mom used to commute every day, taking us there. But then when I was six, seven years old, I have older brothers. They had to go to actually high school. So then my dad decided to move. So either we would go to Sao Paulo, which was four hours away, or to where I live until now, here in Paraná State, was also four hours the distance. And then he chose here because it's not a big city, a capital city like Sao Paulo, but it's big enough for good schools and structure for his kids. So that's why we moved to where I live, which is called Londrina here in this state. As we were talking earlier, did you mention that you came to school in the United States? Yes. I had an opportunity, Paula, to make this exchange program for senior in high school when I was 17 years old. So. I had an opportunity. My father gave this opportunity. And that was my dream when I was a teenager to go abroad and see the world outside. And I wanted to stay one year. And as he came from Japan, 17 years old, he knew that would be a good experience for me. Of course, that very different from what he had because he came moving to live in this country. My case was just studying for one year, so the experience would be different, but he thought would be a very nice experience to move away from the family, and I wanted so bad. And then he let me. I had opportunity to stay in Kentucky State. Actually, it was a military base. So for me, it was a double experience, <laughs> living in the USA, away from my family, from my home and country, and going to a military base, which is, uh, I believe, it's totally different from any common American family. So that was a very interesting experience I had. Now, knowing that your father came from Japan, did you have an opportunity to go there at all? Yes, I did. I actually had three, four opportunities, and I was so grateful for that. The first time I was six, seven years old, I was little. And then I came back. I was a teenager around 11, 12 years old. I was 12 years old. I lost my mom. My father got married again pretty soon <laughs> after eight months of my mom passed away. And then he took his second wife to Japan so he could show the family his second wife. And then we came back again with her. Then I had an opportunity before having kids, traveling only with my father, my husband. 
and my brother. So I had the opportunity and I have cousins there, uncles. I still have some uncles because my father is the youngest of seven. Some of my uncles have passed away, but I still have others and cousins. Nice. In some ways, our world is getting smaller. It's so neat to be able to communicate. That's true, Paula. That's very true. Nowadays, we have internet, we have Zoom, right? Uh, everything's more accessible. I keep thinking about how was my father's period that time. It was the telephone or sometimes not even telephone, right? Letters. So, yes, definitely. Nowadays, it's much easier to connect and keep in touch more often. Yeah. Even my mom and dad moved from Pennsylvania, New York, out the east side of the United States, clear out to California. And phone calls were too expensive. So yeah, they did a lot of letter writing. And that was in the same country. Yeah, that's true. When I stayed in the USA for my exchange program, we used basically letters The telephone was, okay, speak fast. (laughs) You have two minutes and I have two minutes. That's it. So I didn't have time to keep moaning and crying. (laughs) Just to say, I'll be fine. Okay. (laughs) Well, besides quilting, did you have other employment? I had before my business right now. I am graduated in business. I have a business degree. So while I was doing my business degree, I was working as an English teacher here with teenagers group, right? Kids group. So I taught for a long time that moment. And then I had an opportunity to work in an IT company, working with foreigners. They needed English, so I helped them a lot. But I worked just for a short period, like six months, because I missed a lot my students, keeping the contact with people. The idea of staying in front of a computer eight hours a day, just once in a while, have this contact with foreigners was not enough for me. I was not so happy. So I came back teaching English, coordinating school, but I finished my business degree. And then if I was going to follow this area, I would have to work in public relation or with people, even marketing, but not stay in front of computer doing some, uh, how can I say, board task, <laughs> I would say. Do you understand? Yes. <laughs> My next question is, how did you get to where you are now from where you were born and raised? As I said that I was graduated, I graduated in business school. I started working there, but then I basically working as an English teacher. 
I met my husband when we were teenagers and we were friends for a long time. So when I went to the USA to have an exchange program, we were already friends, but we were just friends. And then I came back, entered the college, university, and then when was in the university that we started dating. We graduated at the same time. He's graduating in law school. I was in business school. And then after graduation, it took for us like two, three years to get married. I was being a teacher. He was working as a lawyer. And then we got married. And meanwhile, five first years or seven first years of our marriage, I was working a lot at this school because I was not only a teacher, but also a coordinator, working with teachers, training teachers and everything. But my intention was to have my own business. I just didn't know what. As I had a business degree, I wanted to one day to have my own business. So it was convenient for me working there. And I also wanted to be a mother. After getting married, after three years, I got pregnant, but I lost it. I had a miscarriage, but it was a very beginning, so it was fine. And after that, I said, okay, so how about we try to have kids? I still wanted to have business, but I wanted to have kids, and I didn't get married so young. I got married 27 years So 30 years, I had my first miscarriage. And for women, we have this biological timing. So I didn't want to wait to have kids. But it took me seven years, Paula, to try to get pregnant. It was a little bit difficult for me. But then when I was 37 years old, I got pregnant. Well, what did I do meanwhile in these seven years? I think I lost a little bit of my time trying and trying and trying to get pregnant. Okay. But of course, at that time, I was still teaching. But then that affects you emotionally when you tried something and you can't get it. And you go over many doctors and nobody explains. So... That moment, I knew that I started to have a more connection with religion. I am a religious person nowadays, but I wasn't when I was young. But that period started my religious life. And the art area part, because I always loved art things like music, handcrafted things, That helped me a lot in that moment, too. That's the moment I knew about what quilting was. So these handicraft activities helped me emotionally, too, and the religion part. And that's how we started everything. I met this art, which is, when I said that I love art, I didn't mention that I met my husband in music school. Yeah, so he used to play sax, and I used to play the piano. So that's where we met. But we were just friends when we were teenagers. 
so that's why it helped me a lot. I started to see some quilt pieces in magazines. And I said, what is this? That's interesting. I used to make this Japanese art. I don't know if you know that called Ikebana, which is using flowers to make in the vase. You put leaves and flowers. You construct a beautiful vase. But you have a technique to use some different materials to keep the plant still in the vase. So that's called Ikebana. So I used to make Ikebana because my mom used to do that a lot. So I wanted to learn. I used to knit. And then uh, I saw this quilt magazine. I wanted to know what kind of art was that. So my first quilt was following a magazine pattern. First time that I sew, <laughs> I got my mom's machine. She used to have it. And then I started. But then I thought I need to take some classes because it's not so perfect. This I don't know if I'm doing right way. I don't know. If this is not right. So I enrolled to a school here in the city, this quilt shop. They have the classes. Then that's how I started taking classes. And I'm here, you know, and then I have my own business. <laughs> you mentioned a couple hobbies that you went through on your way to finding quilting. Are there other hobbies that you do or have done? Yeah, I would say hobby, but I love exercising. I love jogging. When I was a child, uh, teenagers, I took ballet classes for many years. Today, I think sometimes I come across said, ah, I should have kept doing that, you know, because I was not so bad. <laughs> well, that's what people say. My brothers and my sisters. But anyway, when we got into college, you stopped doing those things. So I love doing exercises. So every time I go jogging, and I like playing music, not so much now, but love everything that involves music. So exercises for me, outside I exercise, and if it's with music, like dances, would be much better for me. But yeah, the hobbies that I would say would be these. And when I was younger or before getting married, I took a lot of handicraft activities. Do you think any of your hobbies show up in your quilting at all? I would say my first pattern that I released the beginning of this year, which is a throw quilt, I created that Basing on the place that I love to jog here in my city, which is a very famous place that people go late afternoon or early in the morning. People go there to jog, ride bicycle. It's a beautiful place. There is a lake. It's very beautiful. Mm -hmm. So when I designed this pattern, I was thinking about that place. So, yeah, I would say that my first pattern, and it is called the name of this lake. Nice. And can you tell me the name of the pattern? Estrelas do Lago, which in English would be the stars of the lake. Pretty. Well, I think you just mentioned how you were introduced to quilting by looking at the magazine. 
and then you took a class. Is that how you were introduced? Yes. Then I took a class. I started learning, doing everything by hand, sewing the little piece. And then the second piece was a quilt with nine blocks, but everything done by hand. We have sewing machines, but she wanted me to learn by hand, cutting with scissors, the pieces, not the rotary cutter, marking the seams and everything. And even the quilt part, everything hand said, oh my God, it doesn't take this long. Because when we are young, we don't have that much patience. And that was one thing that helped me a lot. I'm talking about when I was in 20s. We want to get things immediately, right? Everything that we want, we want right now. We don't want to take that long. So I was kind of an anxious person, very impatient. In a certain way, it helped me to slow pace, to understand that there is a reason you're learning to do by hand. Okay, so slow down. You're going to do it. It's not going to take too long. And it helped me a lot. And after that, of course, we did everything with the rotary cut and sewing machine, uh, different techniques like foundation and everything. But that's where I was introduced to this art quilting. And that's how I started everything. I wonder if it gives more of an appreciation for these tools with not being allowed to use them at the beginning. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you are right, Paula. I know that you're going to have this question, what's your favorite tool, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, now we appreciate it that we understand how nice they are. But it was good. I think it was a very good experience. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a quilt you have made or designed or a quilt that you saw somewhere else, do you happen to have a favorite quilt? Yeah, I would say my favorite quilt would be this first quilt that I made, nine blocks, instructed correctly. My first quilt. I know that my first, first quilt was following a magazine, but it's different. That one, this one, I do have here on my wall because I know that I learned all the right correction of joining the blocks together. And then this quilt has the session to and the border. So I would say that my favorite quilt, you know, my own quilt. <laughs> Could you describe that quilt a little bit? What colors did you use? It's not visually the fabrics, because I was young in this area of matching the fabrics, you know, Paula. So it's a monochromatic <laughs> quilt, which I chose there. It's like an old rose color and it's light, darker, one type of color. So I didn't have all these combination, different palette and designs of fabric. So it's not so beautiful. If I see like this today, I know that we change it a lot. The taste we change. So, and it's a nine block. I believe it's the most famous block. So there is a log cabin block. There is a drunk art path block. And you have blocks with four patch, nine patch. And Ohio star. I would say that the commons 
star blocks, right? The nine blocks you have there. I made this quilt. That's how she taught me. And explaining about the block. This is the name. Every block has a name, which I didn't know that time. And there was a reason for that name. She explained in general. Nowadays, I know much more because I like the history behind the blocks, behind the quilt. So nowadays, I have searched it, so now I know. But that basic blocks, Paula, the star blocks. Now for that question, what is your favorite tool? Nowadays, I would say it's the diagonal seam tape. You know, it's so practical. You skip all the marking and it's functional. But of course, you have so many tools, very important, like rotary cut, all different rulers. But I think that we do use so much of these diagonals sewing, making half square triangle or flying geese or whatever, that I think it's very, very practical, that tool. But I do have others. I was really in doubt of these questions. So many, so many, I, all of them, you must have. The seam reaper, it's important. I like to have one here, one close to my long arm machine, one in my case. Because, I don't know, it looks like we use everywhere. (laughs) You mentioned diagonal tape. That's a tape. It's not a ruler. You know that when you have to sew a quarter inch each side, so there is a tape that you put in the machine with your machine foot. So you don't need to mark the diagonal. You just put your square there. And lining this tape that has the line, and there is a line for a quarter seam allowance. You just follow that line, and then instantly it's sewing the quarter. Oh, cool. I don't think I've seen that yet. Really? Yeah. It's a tape. It lasts a lot because you don't need too much to put in your machine, just like five-inch size that you glue. And then you keep there. You just change when you think it's a little dirt or something like that. That sounds really neat. Yeah. For me, it's very useful. (laughs) As I started quilting, I was surprised at how many different steps we take. Do you like each step along the way or do you get more excited about one step than another? I prefer one than the other, like, for example, designing and piecing. But when it comes to sandwich, mm -mm, I don't. Quilting, I do love because that's how I started my business. I started my business quilting quilts from my clients. So I do love it. Binding, not so much. So I would say designing, piecing, going to the sewing machine, And quilting. That's it. (laughs) The rest I can skip. Sandwich and binding. I could give to somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about your worst quilting experience. When I read this question, I said, wow, worst quilting experience. I had many, but I like to forget about it. Okay. 
And then what I remember, I wouldn't say that it was worst experience, was a little bit more, a little frustration that I had. When I started taking classes, I was learning a lot of different techniques. And when I learned how to quilt, I love it. And then I understood very fast the movement, doing the meanders, designs. And it was getting better and better. Say, wow, I like doing this. I love this. I want to learn more. I want to. Okay. I was doing all this in domestic machines. Okay. And then I had a great opportunity, Paula, to go to Houston Festival. I was so excited. I said, okay, because I was in the USA and I had opportunity to extend a little bit my days. And I knew that there was this festival. I said, can I do this? Am I able? How much? And everything. And then I managed it. So I could stay there for three more days. And then I took this advantage and I went there. I went there by myself. I didn't have a group. I didn't have my friends there. Okay. So once I said I was going to this festival, I said, I want to take a course, at least one. And I want to take quilting course. There were so many courses, right? Could take techniques in quilt, uh, but I wanted to take the Linda Taylor's course from Gamel. And I have never touched a long arm machine, never. Okay. But I wanted to take her course. Okay. There was this course for beginners. I don't know the name now, but was the easiest one. And I said, ah, let me take another one. Well, I'm going to take one. I'm going to take advantage, take two. And then I took another course of hers. So when I got there, I saw this room with many, many long arm machines. I was thrilled. I was, wow, is it going to be one machine for each one? That one for me was marvelous. It was great. And then... The first class was more theory than practical. There was a little bit practical. But then, Paula, when I went to that machine and work and practice, I said, whoa, I didn't like it. I was a little bit frustrated because I couldn't control that machine. The machine was too much for me. I think what happened is that, I don't know if there is this expression in English, but I put the carriage in front of my horses. I think I step bigger than I could handle. I don't know. I just think that when I went to work with the machine, my expectation was one thing. And then when I got the machine, it was too much for me and I got frustrated. And every movement that I did was horrible. I was frustrated. I couldn't make a circle or a swirl, but nobody told me that the beginning was like that. When I saw the other participants making, their quilting was much better than mine, much better. So either they practice or they were doing this already or they already had more miles of quilting, 
domestic machines or not on long arm, I knew they had more. And I said, what am I doing here? So I was a little bit frustrated. That was the feeling. And it's something that I really like it. So I came home like, I don't know if I like it anymore. This <laughs> Anyway, I kept doing domestic machines. And then I was doing great to say, well, okay. Some friends from the classes said, Tanya, can you do this for me? You know, finish this, doing your quilt. Uh, are you sure? Yes, I love it. So I did it. I started doing, but not charging, just helping. But that's the experience I had, Paula, that I would share. Of course, now I see that it was my first time and it's normal. I didn't have Linda Taylor telling me because, of course, she was busy, right? And maybe because for her, it's normal. But it was first time and I didn't know it would be like that. I didn't know that the beginning is like this. Maybe if somebody told me, I would accept it better. It was a, just this, a little frustration. But nowadays, I can see that it's normal. What I had, it was normal. It was okay. I was a beginner in everything, and I just thought wrongly that I would manage nicely as if I was doing domestic machine. No, they are totally different. Yeah. Falling short of our expectations can be difficult. Yes. Have you thought about why you like to quilt instead of doing one of the other hobbies or crafts? Right now, at this moment, I think that I am certain and I'm much more sure, certain that I'm going to do them for the rest of my life. Why? Paula, first, because I told you already, I have studied about the history of quilt. So at that beginning colonization, what the quilt meant to those family? What was the goal for making quilt? This cultural thing that going passing one generation to another generation. And uh, now that I am a mother and I have two kids, and the moment we live in this world, we live in this world that uh, I think it's a little bit more complicated and more difficult than my grandparents lived. The danger of it, I feel like it is different. One thing, we are not going to live forever. I'm not going to stay with my kids forever, right? And nobody's life is a linear life. It, there will be ups and downs in your life. And I am not going to be with them, beside them, or even if I am far, having a conversation on the telephone so that I can help them somehow. I won't be here. So that worries me a lot. That for a mother, you know, we feel like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what future holds for them. And in this world we live. So if I leave something for them that I can comfort my heart at this moment that I'm a mother until I die, that's the something that I want to do. And quilt is because quilt is forever. 
quilt is something for them. I know that they, in their future, if they have something that holds, that have something about their mother, that one period of her life, she took the time thinking about them. And if they know that in the future, in the downs moment in their life, my heart will be comforted. So that's why for now, even right now at this moment, because I do have kids and the moment we live in our world, I think it makes totally sense for me and it helps me the idea of future when I won't be there for them. That's nice. So I'm wondering if your answer also covered this next question. Who do you make your quilts for? Yeah. It answers. And then it also answers because we have a business, right, Paula? And we tend to create things. Oh, I want to create a pattern that can sell, that the market will buy. So sometimes we are making the design or pattern, not something that you enjoy, you like it, or there is a more sustainable goal there, but because the market won't. I was thinking, no, I'm going to make a quilt or I am going to design a quilt or a pattern thinking about what is useful for my kids. And for my kids, so when they are child nowadays, when they are teenagers, I will make it for teenagers. When they are grown ups, I will make it. And then if people like it, they will buy or not. They won't. But I'm going to make something that really, really goes this way, that it's useful or it's not for them, but for my taste, or I like it, or for I use what I would be useful for me, instead of making a design or a technique, because I know the market will buy, but I don't like this technique, or it can be any reason. So I make, first of all, for myself, and for my family. And then, of course, once in a while, you choose a palette that it's more modern or because the market is using, right? We have to think it, but not mainly because of the market. Yes. So how many projects do you have going on right now? Right now, I'm working with a course that I'm going to release. Two, three months ago, I released my first basic course. Well, let me explain here. In Brazil, we don't work with inch yard, the measurement. You use centimeters. But my patterns and everything I do, I do in inch. I don't use centimeters. It makes more sensible it is if you work in inch. So that's why I had to create, I built this course to teach the public here, Brazilians, how to work with rulers in inch, everything, the, to read the patterns, how to understand the fractions and the inch measurement. So I have this basic course and making a small piece. It's a pen holder, but everything in inch using the American measurement system. And then now I'm creating a second course, which is this bigger 
quilt with uh, four or five blocks and how to build blocks. The way I learned making that quilt, nine blocks, I'm going to make one, but everything in inch. So making the blocks, sashing, borders, how to put the borders, sew the borders so it, it finishes neat and everything. So I am working on this. I am designing the blocks and have to do all these steps. I am already creating my second, the third pattern, because I already released two patterns this year. I'm already creating the third quilt pattern that I have already the idea. And that's it. Right now I'm working on these two projects. That's plenty to have on your plate. Yes, (laughs) I think so. For me, yes, I think it's good enough. (laughs) And the next pattern I'm going to release, the idea is Orion's belt. Because when I was young, we lived in this ranch place. My father, we had this habit of once in a while at night to see the stars. My goodness, because depending on where you are, you can see clearly all the stars. So my father taught us how to find the Orion's belt. Okay, do you see those three stars there? And close to those three stars, you can see another. I don't know how do you say in English, but in Portuguese, we say Cruzeiro do Sul. But that's the Orion's belt. So I would like to make the next pattern something related to that. Have fun. I don't know how I'm going to put it, but. (laughs) (laughs) Could you please share a quilting tip? I would say something very basic, but because it happens a lot with me. That tip, you know, check twice and cut once. And I keep doing this mistake, you know. I don't know if because I want to see everything very fast, how it works. And then I have the measurement. I cut it, but cut it wrongly. So it's the basic tip. Check twice and cut once. Great. We need to do that. (laughs) You had quilting as a hobby and you decided to create a business because you were always wanting to have your own business. But what was that final thought in, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm going to make it this business? When I finally had my First kid, I wanted to have the second one already. My time was tic-tac, right? So I had 37 years old, my first son. So after one year and a half, I wanted to again. I did it and I had a miscarriage again. And it took me a little while again. It took me four years. But then the second son came. I have two sons. After the second son, I said, now I want to start my business. Before my second, I already started, remember, helping my friends, quilting, doing pieces. And I was already charging, okay, one here, another one. But I didn't have a business name yet. I didn't have a logo, nothing. But I started already to charge and they were coming. So then I had my second child. And then after my second, then I started to get this more professionally, creating my name, a logo and everything. 
And then I started in quilting business, this service as a long arm quilt. Then I invested in a long arm machine, took some classes for long arm machines from many quilters in America online. And then that's how I started my business. Last year, I found out about Elizabeth Chapel's course, the quilt pattern writing course. I said, that's great. I would like it because I like to sew. I like to make quilts besides the quilting. And then last year, I released two patterns during the course, after the course. Nice. Tell me your business name and can you also tell me how you came up with the name? Well, uh, as I graduated in business, I always thought I prefer my business name to be my name. People will know my business telling my name, always my name. There will be no better way to people know who you are if your business name will be your name. So that's how I say, okay, it's going to be Tanya Mogari Quilter. (laughs) That's great. You said your friends started bringing you quilts to quilt. But when you started to charge for it, how did you feel when that first quilt came to you and you knew you were going to charge them? We always tend to say that you are not good enough. You think that I need to practice more. I need to be better than I. I don't think it's worth of charging. My goodness. And if I charge, how much? No, no, no. But, you know, that's why I think it's always good you have somebody outside that knows you and know how good you are and keep telling you, okay, Tanya, don't you think that it's time you to charge? And I think you are capable of it. You are good at it. And you just charge it. And somebody that keeps telling you this and keep telling you that you are good and all the positive things you have, because you tend not to see that. And you always put it like, no, no, I'm not. So I had this person. She's my friend. And then the owner of this quilt shop, she took a very important part of it from my beginning of my business. She pushed me a lot and I owe this to her a lot. And she always motivated me and always told me, you are able, you are capable, you are good at it. You should do it. And then I started to charging. And it was a very good experience. It was a little bit difficult how much I would charge. I wouldn't know the price. So that was another issue because she said, Tanya, you should charge a little bit more because that quilter, another one in the market, they charge these for an inch square or a meter square. Here we charge a meter square. Don't you think it's too cheap? You know, so it's important to have a person outside you that can tell you and see more clearly about that. The first time I charted and people said, okay, I pay. That's it. And then keep coming, you know. Oh, is that your price? They didn't say anything that, oh, it's a little expensive, huh? Oh, it's no, nothing like that. You know, Paula, it was just a good, okay, all right. Can I leave it? Or how long do you take it? And people were coming. Wow. (laughs) That first step is always so big. 
Eh, I don't know why, right? You just have to take the first step. You just have to take mm -hmm. your action. Yeah. So last year you took that quilt pattern writing course and you yeah. created a pattern and you put it out there. Do mm -hmm. you remember when someone bought it for the first time? Of course, I do remember. My gosh, Paula was so <laughs> exciting. I was so happy and thrilled. When I designed that first pattern, you know that you have all the process before that and all the steps, which takes a little longer. Everything is different from you, how to work with Adobe Illustrator, how to write and everything. Well, it took me a while to learn. I will never have never worked with it. And then when you put it to sell it, you have so many steps. It's not that easy, like, oh, you do it this so fast. And when I did Paula, I created in Portuguese pattern and I wanted English pattern. I wanted both patterns released. So every pattern that I created, I created in English. I created all the steps, everything in English. And then I put this pattern to tech editors. So then I send that so they can analyze. They can, and then I had those testers. And then I translate in Portuguese. <laughs> okay. So my idea was I have a website in English and I have in Portuguese. I want to have Portuguese, the Brazilian public here, the clients. And I do want, okay, I dream big. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I dream big. <laughs> So why not? Okay. If I was already happy when I sold my first pattern here in Brazil, but when I sold in America, oh my God, Paula, I was <laughs> so excited because then I was getting in dollar, not <laughs> my money currency. Can you think about that? I said, okay, it's just a matter of time. The beginning is going to be slow, but that's okay. No problem. I had my first sale over there. It was fantastic. It was a great experience. Wow. I would say that. International sales. Yeah. Can you see? <laughs> oh my goodness. My self-esteem was very high. And how exciting was it when you got to see a quilt that you knew was your pattern, but somebody else had made it? <laughs> that was another moment. Was surreal. It's like almost unbelievable because when you say, okay, whatever you dream, your dream can come true. That's it. That's what happened. I had this dream. I had something in my mind as a pattern. And then you see somebody else making something that you created from zero. So whatever I want, whatever I desire, I wish I can make it true. And it's very powerful. It's a very nice feeling that everybody should have, every kid should have. Because once you have this feeling when you are young, I think certain things in your life could change because you taste it, because you believe it, and you saw so clear that you can do it and it can become true. 
So the fastest or the youngest, you know, these experience, I think you can accomplish a lot of things. That's great. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with me? Yeah, because when I read this part, if you could talk to great, great grandchildren, right? What would you want to say to them? I understood that it's about life, not only your business, because you said here, I also believe that every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you would enjoy hearing about their lives. And when I read this, I was thinking something because it's related to that question you said, what are you making your quilts for? Mm -hmm. and why you are choosing this craft rather than the other ones? Besides that, for my future generation, I would say that during the period that I took to get pregnant, which was very difficult, and after getting pregnant and my kids, I already had my two sons, but they were very little. My husband and I went through a very difficult situation. And then before starting to have this difficult situation, and I'm talking about financial situation, one doctor said to me when I went to the doctor's appointment, he just looked at me and he's a Japanese, so he has this feeling. He said, you do not have resilience. He said that to me. I said, okay, I came here because of my pain. And then I hear from you that I do not have resilience. I don't care too much. <laughs> but anyway... That scared me. And I said, why is he telling me that? Okay, I don't have and uh, What's the point here? But then I finished that doctor's appointment and then the years came by. And then I understood what he said about you do not have resilience. And I did not have resilience, Paula. He saw that and he was right in that. And then I realized that later on. And when I learned how to have resilience, it was much better for my health, for me, and for my family. And you need that to have in your life, to have resilience, whatever comes to you. And even if you have this business, because you make a pattern, you create things and you want to sell it, but it's not going to happen the way you think. And are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for what comes, maybe not selling anything at all? And how you are going to overcome this, look in a different way and find something that can fix this or learn about this. You need resilience in everything in your life. And I had to learn in a difficult way, you know, suffering. Not in my business, but in that moment in my life. And it was financially. Nobody taught me. And when I was a kid, my father taught me what he knew about it. And what he could give it to me, it's not his fault, right? We tend to fault. We tend to blame others. 
I am suffering this because you didn't do this or because you did that. You blame. But he could do what he learned how to do it. So that was a very a good experience. And I learned and whatever I can, I teach my sons. People say, you're not supposed to teach or talk about money. No, I am supposed to talk about money and how they can get it. It's not only asking and asking that I want this, I want that. Because mainly nowadays, we have this machine in front of you that everything that you can have it so easily. So it's easy for them to ask. And it's easy for us in our business not doing anything because you think things are coming to you. No, people are not going to buy to you if you don't do anything just because you put it there to sell. No, you have to go after, you have to do it, you have to start moving and taking action. And when you have these bad things, you need to be resilient enough to go over it. Because frustration you will have, right? And a lot. And do my kids are prepared for this? Are they going to have this in the future? Will be prepared in the future? Will be resilient in the future? Mainly nowadays that everything can have so easily and so fast, right? So no, I have to teach them that they have to get it by themselves and they have to act to do it. So this is for my kids and for my business too, as a business owner, because it's not like we plan. It's not like what we think. And then you have to be very resilient and flexible in your life. Mm -hmm. That's really good. That's why I always look at my kids and I say, I have to teach them to take their own action, to go after, because it's easy. I want this. I just ask my mom and dad, I want this toy. Okay, you want this? What can you do it to get this? What can you do it? And you can do it a lot. I can give you some hints, some ideas, <laughs> which is the most important. You just have to act. Because I think it's important, uh, Paula, this is for future. As long as they learn this since they are young, I think it's going to be better for them in the future. Definitely. Know? Is there anything else you wanted to share about your country? We have beautiful places here. I think that I would say that for living it's a very blessed country when you talk about the land because in nature, because we don't have problems like tornadoes, earthquakes, or something like this that I keep imagining. Like I have relatives in Japan or some friends in the U.S. You have those nature things that you have to do. We do have when regarding too much rains, flood, but yeah, it's not a hundred percent. We do have things, but in general, I think we don't have too much of these kind of things. And it's a country that you have a nice places to visit, beautiful places. The weather always, always warm, not cold. Only the south of Brazil 
But the winter time, even in south of Brazil, it's not that so strong and so long like Europe or USA, North America, right? So we do have like July, we do the temperature goes down, but it's not something so, so cold. So the weather is very nice. And we have the very long coast area. So it's fantastic. Almost the whole country, north to south, we have the coast part. That's why your son said about the food, which is right, is different. Yes, everything that you plant grows. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't have snow. So you can plant in winter time. the crops grow. So all year long, you have production here. Wow. I was under the impression that farther south that you probably had snow like we do up here during your cold months, but not as much, huh? Mm, not as much. If the winter is very strong, like some years, you can find a little bit, but it's like these two days. Yeah. That's it. It's not thick enough. No, no. It's cold, but it doesn't snow like many days like in North. No. Yeah. And we got to chat before we started recording. And I did mention my son got to visit down there and how much the diet you all had was so much better for his health. And I just think that's wonderful. I think you're tempting yeah. me to move. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. If you go to big cities like Sao Paulo, Rio, you will find industrialized food. It's a fast food, different lifestyles. You're going to find that. But if you go to country part, well, no, it's different. It's homemade food. A lot of people, they grow their vegetable garden or even small cities. Some small producers, they grow their vegetables and they sell So it is different. You can have a better quality of life. But big cities, you're not going to find too much. Okay, uh, Paul, it's like uh, any other big cities. Yeah. If someone wanted to look you up, where can they find your business? My Instagram is at Tanya Mogarikilter. My website is TaniaMogarikilter.com, not BR.com. Okay, and these will be listed on your episode page on my website. So if someone needs to look that up, they can find it there. Thank you. Uh-huh. And thank you so much, Tanya, for spending this time with me. I thank you so much for this opportunity. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Paula. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com. Or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.